All right. I'm going to read here from Isaiah 35. <clears throat> the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. From the epistle written by James, chapter 5, the seventh verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And finally, in Matthew chapter 11, starting at the second verse. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your help. We are so grateful that you have sent your word 
that your scriptures speak with your own power and authority. But God, we need your help to hear and to understand. So we ask that by your spirit, our hearts would be open. Father, I pray that you'd help me to speak alongside your word, to actually speak it truly and rightly. I pray, God, that anything else will be left and forgotten. The word of the Lord is forever. Let us hear the word of the Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The, the passages today have a unifying theme of bidding us to wait patiently in the midst of things not being as they ought. As you read uh, the story from Matthew, John is in, is in prison. If you, if you don't know how that happened, John the Baptist was basically really, really annoying to people in power because John the Baptist would tell the truth about them and their immorality and their own self-interest. And so people uh, in power arrested John to try to silence him, to try to silence his voice. John has done what John the Baptist was supposed to do. He baptized people in a baptism of repentance. He pointed to Jesus. He literally pointed at Jesus and said, this one is the Lamb of God who's coming away to take away the sins of the world. And John now has done this work of announcement. In, a, in many ways, he disappears from the narrative of the Gospels. He's this incredibly challenging, difficult, strange, uncomfortable person who will call out anyone and everyone. He's, he is, as Jesus says, this incredible prophet who outshines anyone. And then he's just gone, except for this story of him in prison, and then eventually his beheading. John hears of Jesus, but apparently not in quite the way that he was even expecting or hoping. John is this apocalyptic figure saying that the times of the world are going to shift. The God of Israel is going to come and do this unexpected thing in the world. He has identified the person who is going to do it. And it seems like, from John's perspective, roughly nothing has happened. And so he sends a note to Jesus like, Yo, you are the lamb, right? Like, this, the, this is the guy, right? Because I'm in prison right here. And now would be a pretty good time for you to do the thing, you know? Like, change everything and invade and all that stuff. And Jesus responds to him and his followers by saying, just tell him the truth of what is happening. And, and Jesus' uh, declaration that he still is the one that John had pointed to is not a note being passed to John, here is my secret plan to get you out of jail. Here is the strategy, military or otherwise, that you would like to know in which I will upend everything and end evil forever. He says, tell John the truth of what is happening. The blind are seeing, 
The deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the dead are raised, and the poor are hearing the good news. Blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. And of course, Jesus is profoundly offensive. He's offensive pretty much to everyone. He's he's this incredibly attractive person. People are coming out of the cities to hear him preach, but he's also offensive. He's not afraid to do what John the Baptist has done, tell people in positions of power and authority that they need to repent of their sins. But I think probably the context of this instruction, blessed is anyone who's not offended by me, being said to John is also instructive that Jesus is offensive to even the people who are on his side. Jesus offends people in the way that he does not do what they expect or or even demand of him. If you read the Gospels, it seems like Jesus kind of goes out of his way at times to be offensive. If you read John chapter 6... And the people are following Jesus and asking for him for signs and for clarity. And Jesus seems to, on purpose, to say the most offensive things that you can imagine. If you're going to be saved, you better eat my flesh and drink my blood. To the extent that most of the people leave. Jesus is offensive. And it seems that Jesus is offending John. Because John has his own set of expectations. And let's be clear, these expectations are understandable. John has done nothing wrong, and he is in prison. John will face his own death because somebody else has got their feelings hurt and a position in power is so sexually depraved they would trade his life for his own pleasure. John John wants Jesus to do something for good reason. And Jesus gives him an answer that basically means, I am doing something. Something is happening here. The way that the world is, is being shifted and changed. And he points to healing primarily. The blind and the deaf and even the dead are having their circumstances reversed, which is amazing. I think think we can all agree that seeing people's physical circumstances reversed is amazing. But if you read Isaiah 35, it seems like something more should be happening. Isaiah 35 paints this messianic vision of God doing something in the world where the whole order of creation is reset. There are no ravening lions anymore. There's just just peace. Everything being reset to the way that it should be. And, And John knows the book of Isaiah. Jesus is referring to the book of Isaiah. He's having John remember this vision. And John can hear what he's saying and say, yes, but like, where's the rest of it? Where's everything else right now? And Jesus is then concluding that instruction, blessed are those who are not offended by me. 
The offense comes when Jesus does not do what you expect or demand on your own time. But instead, he is about the work of his own kingdom on his own time and in his own way. And that demand, it pushes on John. It challenges John. And and hear Jesus' words about John the Baptist. He doesn't send the messenger away, turn to his buddies and say, listen to this joker, John. What a jerk this guy is. What a dummy. Don't be like John. That's not what he says. He's not dismissive of John. He, he, he doesn't discard John because John is having a hard time. He turns around and he says, man, John is the best. There's never been anybody like John. My cousin John, what a dude. But the least in the kingdom, the people who get it, the people who understand, they're... They're even above a prophet like John. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. And James is speaking on the other side of Jesus' work. James, who who we believe to be Jesus' brother, grew up in his household with him. James, who is converted from the skeptic and the scoffer and the guy who's just trying to get Jesus to to be quiet and come home for a little bit so he can straighten out all of this nonsense that you're preaching. James, who now recognizes that Jesus is who Jesus says he was, probably the most extraordinary conversion to go from a half-brother to I'm going to actually worship my half-brother. That's an amazing conversion. James, he says for us, This is a time of patience. Be patient, brothers and sisters. Because the waiting that John experienced, the waiting that Isaiah preached to, is not over. This is still a time, an era of patience. And James says, It's precisely to the prophets that we must look. The prophets could see what was coming ahead and still had to live in the present moment and endure. And James says, brothers and sisters, you are like these people. He speaks specifically to the, the angst that that kind of rolls out of our own chest as we grumble against our our spiritual family. Don't grumble against the people around you because this in-between time, it, it looks like blindness and deafness, but it also just looks like a bunch of people in church who are just straight sinners. And whether you're facing physical incapacity or whether you're facing the sin of other Christians... You and I are in an era of waiting patiently. Now, there's sort of a dual edge to this message. In in some ways, this is a relief. This is good news, right? The, The scriptures are not saying to us, Jesus is not saying to us, this is pretty much all there is, so I hope you're okay with that. 
That's not what the scriptures are saying. The prophets, James, Jesus himself is, is pointing forward to a day when there is more. There is fulfillment. So right now, as you experience the, the, the less than of the moment, you, you are meant to hear and be encouraged that God does yet still have more. The, the work of Jesus done 2,000 years ago, which, which transforms and, and invites you to experience life with God forever and to, to be with him now spiritually, great gift that it is, is not the end of what God is doing. That right now, though, some of the blind see and some of the deaf hear, deaf hear and some of the dead are raised, that is not the full extent of what God intends to do. So if you are in a place of suffering and anticipation, God is saying to you, be patient because it gets better. It, it may not even get better in your lifetime. It may not get better before you stop drawing breath, but the, the end of your breath drawing is not the end of what God is doing in the world. So take heart, endure, keep going, because God has more for you. Now on the flip side, if we're being told to be patient and to endure, we also must hear that as people who are profoundly comfortable and the way that the world is at times. Some of us long for the future of what God does far too little. In fact, I would say that even in a season where, where the hurts, the absences, the losses uh, come to the surface, in a season like Advent, we ought to recognize that just by virtue of where we are and, and where we live, we are probably people who are more likely to be far too comfortable with the way that things are. We, we look to the future of what God intends to do in the world, and if we're not really thinking about it, we can be kind of take it or leave it about the promise of the future with God. Because life is relatively easy. The tap still spits out cool water, we have food on our plates. We are relatively climate controlled. We are living lives of ease. And so the, the existence of better in the world sounds nice, sounds pretty good, but when life is already fairly comfortable and pretty good, all you're looking at is an upgrade of an upgrade. And it is difficult then to hear James say, wait patiently and endure, when you could more easily look around and say, I mean, okay, that's fine. Things are pretty great. So when you hear Jesus in the Gospels preaching in a way that gets into your skin, underneath your skin, unearths your life, when you hear the preaching of John the Baptist calling you to repentance, you best pay attention. It would, it, would be an easy, it would be an easy thing to, in the life of comfort, to be lulled to sleep, to not hear the command to wait patiently for the Lord. Advent comes to us in the darkness of the winter 
that we would be people who acknowledge the true state of things. Advent is for truth-telling. The comfort that you may live in, the ease that you may feel, it is false and fleeting. It can be stripped away from you in a moment. And the things that you have hinged your hope on, they are just as fragile and weak as you are. For many of us, the darkness of the winter, the, the darkness of Advent is a revelation of the, own fault, of the fault lines of our own lives. Where some part of us deeply understands John the Baptist saying, is this all there is? Is this all there will ever be? So whether you hear this command to wait patiently, whether you hear it with great joy, or whether you hear it as a kind of quiet wake-up call, the light is turned on in the darkness of the winter. And Isaiah's vision still lies out ahead of us. Things are not as they ought to be. And God is working to make them as they one day will be. It is tough to remember that and to trust at times. If you are suffering, it can be tough to remember and to trust. If you are looking at the end of the life of a loved one, it is tough to hold on to that and to trust. If you are living a life of loneliness, if you are, if you are facing this Christmas season firmly in the camp of the Advent, that you are not living in a Hallmark movie at all. It can be difficult to trust that things will one day be better than they are now. And so your questions are voiced by John for you. Are you really the one? Can we really trust? There is a day coming when all that is broken and fractured will be healed and made right. God absolutely has provided for you good now in the gospel. But you need to understand that the gospel is more than just about right now. It is about the proclamation of the healing and resolution of all things. And if you are suffering and alone, if you are battling despair and depression, if you, if you push every day against the demons of anxiety, if you do not know who will take care of you at the end of your own life, if you do not know how long you will have to carry this pain in your body, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet John the Baptist James points forward to a fulfillment of our patience when God will set things right. And we, the Advent people, look forward to his coming. We are hungry for his coming. The purpose of Advent is to make you hungry. It is to make you aware of the desperation that is coursing through every fiber of your being. We want, we need Jesus to come and to finish what he has started. We long for it. 
When we sing about that long-expected Jesus, we are being taught, we are being begged to long for all that God has intended to do for his people. And if you are secure, and if you are comfortable, if you enjoy your life and you enjoy the way that it goes, if you see all the good and it is truly good, and you cannot see stretching before you underneath the surface of your life, all the way the world is fractured and gone wrong. Today, Advent bids you to come in and to see that the things that make you so comfortable and happy now pale in comparison to what God desires to do and will do in the world. You should be far less satisfied with the good things in your life. I'm not standing up here and telling you, you ought to be miserable. I'm standing up here and telling you the things that you love and have put your hopes in, they, they are nothing compared to the God who is the anchor of hope for his people. And when you sing, come thou long expected Jesus, you too should long for Jesus. There is a day coming. A day that we beg for, that we plead for, that we cry out with John, is there yet more? And the full revelation of Isaiah's prophecy will one day present itself unveiled. The way, the highway into that future world has declared himself already. It is Jesus the way of holiness that is broad enough for even my foolish feet is Jesus. And if you are here today and you are trapped in the, the forces of the world that make you very aware of how things can only get better, the way is Jesus for you. And if your trust is like this thin so that you too are sending notes from jail, Hear the voice of Jesus who says that even for the littlest one in the kingdom, you have for you secured greatness in him because of the greatness of his generosity. He sees the frailties of your faith. And he is a good enough way even for you. Fall on him in trust. And if you hear this news uh, of the world that is coming and you know that you are far too comfortable in this life, be clear with yourself today. The re rearrangement of your circumstances is not the way forward into the kingdom life that Jesus has presented. It's not your qualifications. It's not your own goodness. It is only Jesus who has said, I am not a way, I am the way and the truth and the life. And if you've been putting your trust anywhere else in your own goodness, your own smarts, your own career capabilities, today is the day to repent. Turn away from a life of self-comfort and self-trust and instead trust in Jesus because he is the only one who can actually make the blind see and the deaf hear and the dead to be raised. 
And if you are here today, blind and deaf and dead, inside for all of your life, it is to you too that Jesus comes. And for you, he will deliver and he will set you right. He will open your eyes. And for the first time, you might hear the voice of God saying, I have come and I am coming again. I have come and I am coming again. This is the great mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And then all will finally be well. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your kindness towards people like us. God, we thank you that we can see in your scriptures that, that even somebody like John the Baptist might be confused and not understand what it is you are doing, where, when, and how. And that you have patience and kindness towards him, you have patience and kindness towards us. We confess to you, we are often offended by Jesus. We often want to rearrange things on our own dictation and control. We repent, we confess, and repent. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help those who are feeling the weight of Advent darkness, fatigue and pain and sorrow and loss, who are asking the question, where are you and where is the rest? And God, I pray that you will help them to be patient and to endure. They might trust you and trust that they are on the highway in to all that you intend to do in the world. And Father, I pray for those of us who are far too satisfied with the comforts of this life. God, I pray that you would help us to see clearly that good things are not ultimate things. They are not worthy of our worship. They are not worthy of being the shelter in which we hide. Father, we give you those good things and we ask that you would help our appetites to be provoked. We pray that we would be hungry, that we would long for Jesus. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness towards your people. Thank you for your patience towards us. Father, help us to be the people who set our eyes on you, the author and perfect of our faith, the way, the truth, and the life, that in you all of our hopes may be summed up, and in you all of our hopes may be found. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.